0: Welcome to Fantasy Feud, a featureless baseball show where we're tackling the most relevant debates in fantasy baseball each week. I'm Sarah Sanchez, and I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Shelly Verstrait, to talk through both sides of the hottest fantasy baseball debates right now as you are getting ready for draft season. We're here with one of the greatest minds in the industry, Ariel Cohen, who you know from the ATC Projection System, Beat the Shift, and his work at Fangraphs. But before we introduce our incredible guests to say hello, Shelly, what are you
1: working on and how are you feeling today? Um, I'm doing okay. Um... You know, you know, uh, like uh, pictures and catchers about the report in about a week or so. And then the spring training game starts um, and then it's my birthday. So it's just like a it's like it's like a it's like a really exciting month. Um, But, you know, I'm just working on like some some dynasty rankings over at Reuter World. So I'm trying to narrow those down with like all the trades that happened over the last couple of weeks. So, yeah, it's been kind of like a exciting time. Baseball is about to start. I know.
0: Baseball is just around the corner. And now I, I just have to, when is your birthday? Because my birthday is just around the corner too. Oh, okay. Uh, uh February 22nd. I am February 26th. So we're oh, definitely wow. going to have to do like a total baseball birthday episode. <laughs> definitely. Uh, to keep that in mind. Um, go Pisces forever. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Ariel, I know that you've been busy getting your projections out. I use the ATC projections religiously to inform my drafts, so and we're going to talk about the methodology there and everything else. But what else are you working on at the moment?
2: Well, first of all, happy early birthday to you, to you folks. <laughs> <laughs> my birthday is not in February, so I, I don't get to join in there. And uh greatest day of the year, of course, is that day in late February when you turn on the TV and you see an actual baseball game being played. That is just, oh, my God, we're here, folks. We're here. So. uh Had to say that. Um, But, yeah, what am I working on? Uh, Projections pretty much uh, quite a lot of the time uh, as far as baseball goes, Um, you know, to get the ATC projections. It takes a while and it takes all of January. And then, you know, you you wrap up most of the uh, issues that come up. And uh, now I wait for spring training to start. Uh, once spring training starts, it's going to be oh, this happened. There's a change here. Here's oh, more playing time, a trade, an injury, or this, you know. And then we got cranking more. There's not, not a lot of news between now and you know, late February. Uh, but just a little bit of a lull, I should say. And uh, yeah, writing a couple of articles and uh, just waiting for the show to happen. Really, uh, really excited for 2024.
0: I could not agree with you more that the greatest day is when baseball is finally back. I actually, I always feel like we've made it through the long dark of winter. The second that I can listen to Pat Hughes as I'm walking around the neighborhood or see a Cubs game. And a few years ago when they started spring training a tiny bit earlier, my birthday now aligns almost perfectly with the first time the Cubs play most years, which has been a truly incredible gift. And like the universe is giving me the Cubs back for my birthday, which is amazing. <laughs> Um, let's move into the show a little bit. Uh, So this is a debate show. And the the thing that differentiates Fantasy Feud from some of your other favorite podcasts is we're going to tackle each of these issues in an in-depth way with debates about different players, debates about different... Options that you might encounter in your draft, and and looking at them through the lens of a meta question. And so, t- for today's meta question, since we have Ariel here, and it is projection season, we all use projections in some way, shape, or form to inform our draft strategy. What, how we're going to build our teams. I wanted to do a little bit of a deep dive in why we pick the projection systems that we do, how we use those projection systems, and then looking at a couple of interesting cases that Shelly and I have pulled. Uh, from the ATC projections to see how we're sorting them out and what we're going to do with those. But maybe before we do that deep dive, I'm curious, Ariel, you decided to create your own projection system as opposed to the rest of us who just download the projection systems that everybody else has created and, and go from there. And what inspired you to figure out a way to do it yourself and to and the atc projections in particular are a little bit different because of the way they pull information and how they smush it all together maybe you can give people an idea of what differentiates atc and why you took on that project
2: well i mean the uh the impetus was i wanted to win my fantasy league Uh, that really was (laughs) how it started you know uh um i need numbers how do i know how much a player is worth how do i know what player is going to be good Well. You need some sort of numbers and projections. And I'm 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 a I'm a numbers guy. I'm an actuary by trade. I, I do models all day long, uh, usually pertaining to insurance losses. We're talking about fires and hurricanes and earthquakes. I'm actually the uh, a natural catastrophe expert at my place as far as uh, as far as the uh, insured losses. And uh, as an aside, <laughs> sometimes I get have to do crazy things like, hey, Ariel, what? Have we ever accounted for meteorites falling from the sky? Like, on, <laughs> how does it? I once was asked to actually calculate the probability of alien invasion and what that would mean for the insurance book. That was nice, wha- wacky, <laughs> wacky uh, times, but fun. Um, so you know, my mind is, let's. How do we model something? And you know, when I started out, I, I don't know what to do. Let Let's just look and see what everybody else is doing. Well, there's a lot of projections out there. Uh, which one should I use? I don't know. So I took all of them. And, all right, I smushed them all together a certain way. Was that good? I don't know. Probably probably a good idea. But um, over the years, as we do in the actuarial sense, you know, you see what works better. There are certain projections that work better for homers and there are certain sets that work better for pitcher strikeouts. And some are better for doubles and some are better for intentional walks. Right? It, it, the projections aren't equally good for, for each uh, statistic, you know. So – why would I use the same weight on each? Most of this research that I do in terms of the, the brain power that goes into it is how, what is the right way to combine everything? Why should I just take the same weight for every single player? Shouldn't rookies be taken differently? Should injury return players? Maybe ha- that should have a different weight. So it's the how, and this the smart aggregation process that really makes ATC uh, good. And, you know, you also have to know when you use projections. Very important to everyone to understand this is that you have to know how it's created and what it's for. Like if you're looking to to find, wow, with what can I use projections to to find this guy who's going to hit 55 homers? Projections don't exactly do that, and ATC especially doesn't do that. It's not what it's for. It's not to find this outsized guy. Oh my God! It's to get you on track with. Buying players who are going to be profitable and, more importantly, staying away from landmines, players that are just going to be busts, right? You, you don't have to be so correct with the magnitude of a success, like saying that a guy is going to be $10 more than I paid for him. is not as important as just deciding is this a good buy or not, is this a good pass or not. So ATC, because it, the idea is to minimize parameter risk, projections parameter risk, it's a very, very good tool on the frequency uh, in terms of the hit rate. How much of the time does it get it right directionally or not? And, of course, once you get it right directionally, if you buy a player, you realize all the upside, right? If, it's not like ATC says a player is worth $10 and he ended up being worth 20 so you buy him for, for 4 and you say, well, stop at $10. Like i will just take $10 and throw away the rest. No, you get the whole upside. It doesn't matter how much of the upside there is. It's it, You get all of it once you make the correct buying decision. So that's sort of the way to use ATC. It's a very good base. If you wanted to make your own judgments on players and say, hey, I don't like this guy. I like this guy. Don't just compile everything on your own. Start with a projections base and tweak things up and down. And ATC being an aggregation is really the best place to start.
0: Yeah, it's a really good observation about projection systems. Are not looking for that tenth percentile outcome or that ninety fifth percentile outcome. They're really looking at that fiftieth, fifty fifth percentile outcome. And so this is one of the reasons. And I can't remember if I was talking to you about this recently or if I was writing about this for another site. But I I was looking at you know who who could be the next Ronald Acuna Junior. Which players have that potential? And one of the guys that I that I think has that potential pretty strongly is Julio Rodriguez and that's because if you look at the projection systems he is projected for a 30-30 season from everyone anybody whose middle outcome is a 30-30 season absolutely has a 40-40 season or a fifth, you know something even better in their possible realm of outcomes but Shelly I think you've got a really great observation here about how projection systems work with some of the younger systems. And I'd love to hear you talk more about that.
1: Um, yeah. Like I, I was um, just like curious. Cause I was like looking at like some um, auction values um, uh, uh, last night uh, when it came to like third base guys. Um, so um, I was looking at Heisung Kim and Alex Bregman um. And Heisen Kim was like based on the Fangraphs auction calculator, was only worth a dollar versus Bregman, who was worth uh, 13. And Kim is going, you know, like a couple spots higher than what Bregman was is currently going in ADP. Um, So I was a little bit curious about like how do you like uh, how do you take ADP into account, and then someone who Kim is like really like for the stolen base play. Bregman is not stolen base, but is pretty much awesome everywhere else. So how do you take that into account? Like when you're drafting a $1 overall guy versus a $13 guy, but he has like that one good category.
2: Well, the, the numbers you give, is that for like a 10 team league? Um, a,
1: i think it i think it was a 12 team league actually
2: okay i i think he's worth a little bit more than a dollar but yes i get your point they're they're very very different The uh, projection show he's much worse than bregman even though people are taking him over it really depends on the on the cases uh each case is different sometimes you know there's a, a unique player a scarce commodity that people want to push up i mean esuri Ruiz you know there's not that many people that can steal 50 bases so if you want that very unique quantity that might be something that people might want to push up because it's just a very uniqueness of profile right whether you think that it's a good thing to have that kind of uniqueness is a different story but i can see how that would happen i think in the case of hassan kim might be might be just a miscalculation by the uh by the audience i mean uh I, I I think that people are just seeing the homers and steals and forgetting that when you have a rotisserie league, there are plenty of other categories uh, mm-hmm. and they're forgetting about the RBI total. And maybe he had, he had an upside year last year and they have recency bias and are just seeing that. And Bregman has now become the old boring veteran, right? It, 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 there's there's very different reasons. You know, I think in that, in that case it could be a combination of a bunch.
0: Yeah. Kim and Bregman are super interesting for a couple of reasons. One Bregman is the higher valued player. Um, I, I've got a different uh, set of out of auction values up here. And I, I, I have Ariels ATC values for a 15 team league. And, and one thing to keep in mind here, like the very, there can be a lot of variables here, right? Like one system might really like a player like Yamamoto, who we're going to talk about in a little bit, or really dislike a player. Um, and, and, you can get pretty wide variance across systems between different players, especially if there's limited data on them. In the case of uh, the ATC projections for 15 team league, Bregman goes at pick maybe 104. He looks like a, he's a solid floor player, right? I mean, we, uh, there's a rumor today that the Astros are thinking about possibly extending him just like let the L2 Bay Bregman train ride until the end of time. He goes, um, I don't know. 20 picks prior to Haseon Kim, who's going pick 88. And it looks like Bregman is a $7 value over Hassan Kim. And, and I find this particularly an interesting use case because one of the things that projection systems don't capture as well is that multi-position eligibility. Like if you take Alex Bregman, you're getting a third baseman, you're getting a third baseman with a solid floor, you are not getting steals, that's it. Take Hassan Kim. You're getting a second baseman, third baseman, and I believe he has shortstop eligibility, too. And you're getting those stolen bases. So, Ariel, when you're looking at that with your numbers and your values, like, what are you thinking about there?
2: Yeah, sure. So, you know, multi-positional eligibility obviously does matter. To me, it's not that you increase it because he has more positions. It's more the fact that when you're going to the waiver wire, well, at least in the roto format with waivers, if you go to the waiver wire, now if somebody gets injured on the team it opens up the players who can replace him right if you have Bregman and he gets injured you need a third baseman if you have Hassan Kim and uh, uh, on the squad and somebody else gets injured at short well now you can replace you can stick Kim in there and and take the other position right it increases the 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 players that you can get, the, the field of view. So that is worth something. Um, in a best ball format, the position eligibility is worth a lot because Hassan Kim might be the best second baseman, but there might be a better shortstop that week or a different week. It could be opposite. And when the computer tells you exactly where to put it as the optimal result, having that flexible uh, um, positional eligibility is huge. That could be a couple of points a week. Really, really matters on, on the format. I mean, to me, you know, it, it, you really have to see what the uniqueness of profile is. And I, 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 I look at the categories for Hassan Kim and, and Bregman and which are better. Homers, Bregman's better. Runs, Bregman's better. RBIs? Bregman's better batting average Bregman's better. And it's not just better by a little, it's better by a lot in terms of standard deviations. We're talking like one and a half standard deviations uh, above each. It's not a marginal thing. It's quite a lot stolen bases. Sure. Okay. So you, you, he wins four out of five, by the way, I just want to say one other thing, you know, talked about projections differing and all that. ATC has a number for them since ATC looks at all the different uh, projections. I, I can actually see how different projections are from one another. And the uh, the term I have is called inter-SD. It's one of the statistics. Actually, if you go on Fangraph, you can download it. Inter-SD will tell you just how variable the projections are from one another. If The projection system has like around two 2 dollars of interest d it means the values are all pretty close together if you got a projection that has like a 7 or 8 interest d it means projections really really disagree and i found that in doing this for players that have a smaller range of of differences in projections it actually is a plus to the end of the year. Like if a player is really projected at $10, you can even add another dollar or so if projections are really tight. Right. There's everyone agrees. It's got to be right. It's wisdom the crowds. It just enforces it. And Alex Bregman's interest is 1.6. That's really, really, really tight. So I, I, I'm pretty sure I know what I'm getting. Hassan Kim, not terrible, but more all over the place than Bregman.
0: That's a really interesting observation and uh, I'm going to put you both on the spot here in a second. So I'm going to give you like 30 seconds of warning and make you pick which player you want more here. But uh, while I set that up, uh, if you're taking Hassan Kim, some guys that you might be passing on to take Kim instead, Jordan Romano goes a couple of picks before him. That's a pretty decent mid range closer, Kyle Schwarber who God is there a more opposite player than Hassan Kim goes right before (laughs) Hassan Kim right now, but you're passing up on maybe 50 home runs from a guy who leads off for the Phillies. And then you've got, Uh, Right behind him are Glaber Torres, who is another really interesting second base candidate with super high floor on lots of categories and Christian Walker. And then, of course, on the Bregman side of this equation, uh, these are NFBC since January 1st, by the way. So if you're looking at slightly different players, that's the reason why I I try to exclude some of those early, early drafts, because I think that they they're they're not quite as what the industry has coalesced around here. Bregman, you're passing up on Brian Reynolds, who I love as an outfield candidate. I think that he's just one of those super safe outfield guys who so, so safe. We think he's boring when he's actually above average at just about everything. Zach Eflin, who we are definitely going to talk about a bit more in a second. Kyle Bradish and Joe Ryan. And I, I mean, I think I'm. I have not taken Bregman as my third baseman in any draft so far yet this year. And I feel like that is a mistake on the part of past me. And I, I might be seeing a little bit more Bregman in my life because Bregman definitely looks like the guy over Kim. Uh, Shelly, what about you? Who do you
1: like more out of these two? Um, It's definitely Bregman for me. Um, I mean, I was big on Kim last year and it totally paid off. And yeah, in an earlier draft, I took him like really high because I was like, oh, yeah, he totally came in for me like last year. I need to draft him. But then once, you know, after the draft is over and I go back and look at my roster, I'm like, that that was dumb. Like, why am I paying for what happened last year? Like, come on now. Um, so it's definitely Bregman for me now. Um, and I'm kind of interested, you know, I'm hoping that maybe Kim kind of like falls down in price just a little bit as draft season continues going on. Ariel, what about you?
2: Well, between the two, it's not Kim. Kim is valued so expensive. Such a bad buy according to projections, according to recency bias, that I cannot see taking him in any single draft format. Like, he will be long gone before I would even consider him. Bregman, I would consider. I don't see myself taking him in a draft because there are other better bargains there. And I don't see myself taking him in an auction because I think I can get a little bit more profit out of the third base position than that. And he's not that unique a profile that I absolutely need Alex Bregman. I wouldn't be opposed to taking him, but I would be very opposed to taking Mr. Hassan Kim.
0: All right. So that's, I I mean, that's kind of, I think that's a hot take this season that like, don't take Hassan Kim. I see Hassan Kim rising in most drafts that I'm in. And and I know that I've taken him a couple of times and I don't think I'm going to anymore. So uh,
2: if you're in a league with me, please take Hassan Kim. (laughs) 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 Shelly, are you in a league with me this year? Are you in labor?
1: I am. Yeah. I'll be seeing you in Florida.
2: Take take Hassan Kim. (laughs)
1: <laughs> uh, I won't, but okay. We'll we'll so, let Nick take them. <laughs> so,
0: somebody else, somebody else will. I'm sure. Uh, one more note on projections before we talk about the way we use projections and our favorite use case for for them. Um, there, I've got a note here about projections struggling with prospects and why. Ariel, can you tell us a little bit about why? I'll use an example that is not on this list, but projections seem really down on Von Grissom, who I think is going to hit like 285 in Fenway and he's going to play every single day. And I'm just sort of like, I don't know, he might not be the best real life baseball player because his glove isn't that great. But for fantasy purposes, I like that a lot. And he's valued right now. Last time I looked is like a 6.5 Dollar player, I would not be sent to see that go up to like $12, for example. What do, what do you see is going on with projection systems and prospects?
2: Well, in the case of Grissom himself, I think projections are doing fine with him because the ATC suggests that you should buy him at its current cost. And like I said before, I don't really care if he's worth, you know, if he should be worth 15 or 12 As long as I buy him and it's correct, I'm good, right? Uh, but in terms of prospects, you know, define that you have to really define what what it means that projections don't get it right. Because what projections will say is that you should be lower on prospects than the, the public thinks. People, oh, this guy's exciting. Wyatt Langford, wow, that guy's going to be good. Jackson, Churio, whoa, that kind of guy's going to be great. I'm sure that one or two of them will be the next uh, the next big thing in baseball, but 70% of them won't and even if they do become the next thing thing the next big thing in baseball they may not become it this year or next year i mean how many prospects often just hit the ground running oh my god even a guy like Kyle Tucker he took a couple of years to really get going right so for your for that projection to really to be so high um and 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 for you to spend so much fantasy capital on on that it is always just foolish. I look at Ellie Della Cruz being drafted in the second round and Jesus, I, 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 <laughs> I can't listen. I'm I uh, I just can't see it. It, it. It's just really, this is a guy I, I understand his upside, but I, I don't know how many of these guys fail, especially a guy that doesn't really have the hit tool and strikes out 30 something percent of the time, you know, um. I, I think that you just have to understand that projections are going to be lower, lower than most uh, on it because of the, the risk of, of happening it. And you'll have to understand that. So I won't get the Corbin Carroll that you pick in the fourth round. That's a first rounder. I understand that. But you also won't get the Jordan Walker, who's the bust or the Anthony Volpe. That's sort of a bust or right. You, you don't get the guys. You, you again, it's it's about frequency. Do you want to get things directionally right? Or do you want to get you have to get the exact magnitude? I'm okay with getting more right than wrong, even if I miss out on the superstars.
0: I think that's a really great observation on the directional part of things. And it's funny that you use those examples. I uh in Tout Wars last year, somebody first fab sec first fab run, five hundred and two dollars for Anthony Volpe. And I just was like, I I my my soul, I was just like, I could never, I I I understand why (laughs) I understand the rationale of he's going to be the starting shortstop for the Yankees. The upside is huge. This is my one chance to get him. That is 50% of a fat budget that you need for 20 plus weeks throughout the baseball season. Like I, and I, I'm okay being the girl who's going to always miss on Anthony Volpe at that price. what about you, Shelly?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, pretty much. I mean, I was big on like Corbin Carroll uh last year, but it was basically because I watched him like coming up through the minors and I was just like infatuated with his speed um and just how he played the game. So, but I I didn't feel the same way with Volpe and and uh and Jordan Walker. So, I kind of won out there, but, you know, um but I really have like a and and I don't even really know how to handle this either. How do Ariel? How do you handle um, prospects that come up like mid season, right? Like Ellie when he came up in like June last year, and he was going for like three hundred dollars in Fab. Do you just stick to your projections and your kind of? Knowing that a lot of these prospects don't necessarily run away with the job and are league winners, or do you look at your league and know, I need a guy like Ellie who is going to steal, you know, X amount of bases and just go for it and put $300 plus in fab.
2: So I think in season, it really matters what position you are in and what you think your likelihood of winning is. And I always go back to the business case of if you're a company that is probably going to go out of business, what kind of investments should you make? The answer is you should make very risky investments. If you're a company that's doing pretty well, you should really not make risky investments and just go chalk, right? So if you're in a position in the middle of the season that well, <laughs> I'm probably going to lose anyways or I, I if I don't catch up in steals, forget it or I can see that. You know what, you know, adding 15 steals that's just going to get me 6 points worth whatever and whatever risk it takes. Yeah, I can see and and the you can't just look at the dollar amount and say, "Oh, it's X percent of my fab." Does that you know account for the risk it really is risk for the right person that's why you'll see inflated numbers because there's somebody that has that increased risk right for every person that that wants to take just replacement players for the week because they get injured or streaming a starter and you just spend a couple of bucks on there's gonna be somebody in the league that's in last place that says let's go for broke guys. So because you have more people taking those chances, that inflates all the numbers all throughout, and you get any these hot prospects, you get all these guys going for more money than they should. Because we don't look at the bids of everybody. When you say how much should Dela Cruz go for in the middle of the year, well, you're only looking at the top bid, right? That one. You're not looking and saying, Well, what did everybody bid on him? Sure, I put in a bid for LA De Dela Cruz. It was forty dollars out of a thousand. It wasn't five hundred, right? But there was somebody who bid 300, 400, right? Uh, So it really is context driven and it's more about your situation than not. But I will say in general that usually the prospects for the amount of money that it goes is a terrible investment. Juan Soto comes to mind as that really worked, but very few, very few work. Usually, look, you can, you can win the return on investment two ways. You either can have a really big return or you can have a small investment. What usually works is the small investment to generate the biggest returns.
0: Man, it's such a good point. I the the two prospects that I wound up landing in a bunch of places last year, and they were league winners for me. Like they were guys who made a huge difference, but this was more luck than skill, and I want to be very clear about that. Were Matt McClain and Yuri Perez, who I managed to finally win those bids after getting shut out on like every prospect who came up before them. Both Matt McClain and Yuri Perez were excellent last year. I mean, I I actually lost a league because Matt McClain got hurt and I just couldn't replace what he had been doing for my team at that point in time. He'd pushed me all the way up into competition and then I I lost him and I couldn't replace it. But I wonder that happened more because I was getting shut out early. So that was finally like the time period where I bumped my bids 10%. It would be a really interesting proposition and I don't know if anyone is doing a project like this. If we could crowdsource like 50 people who play frequently for how they're bidding in fab and then figure out like what some of these midpoints are because it's a great observation that all we ever see in fab data is who won
2: <laughs> we yeah. don't
0: and who, was second,
2: I mean, and who you know, was second if you talk to fred zinke he will tell you that he aims to bid just a couple of dollars under what he thinks the winning bid would be cuz look you can't go a whole season without winning some of these people there's i understand that a high percentage are busts but there are a lot of them that do work out and you can't win if you don't come to pick up some good players on fab right you got to take some risks you got to get some of these players right so it's really about how you want to bid and fred Zinke's strategy is bid so that you just miss because then you know you're pressing the market and you're going to get players just slightly under you know what everybody else is going to do so Um, yeah, you know, you can try that strategy and look, uh, you can take a look at the, at the NFBC and they, they have all the bids. You can look at every single bid, uh, and you know, you can make some assumptions. You can see what your bidding tendencies and say, okay, you know, maybe it's, you know, some 80% of, of what the total is, is really the, the, the target I should bid on players. You you can do proxies, but yeah, your your suggestion is good. We should poll people for a full idea. There might be some, by the way, there might be some uh, other, uh, uh, systems. I think uh or tout Wars. Um if you go on tout Wars, I think it, it it tells you what the uh what the all the bids are for everyone. You could you could uh survey that
0: it does, but it shows you for your league. And what I what I'm right. trying to get at here is a broader universe of like I, I feel like I have a good handle on my leagues like that I play in with the same people in terms of how people are gonna bid there. Like I know Glarf is going to be 20% above the market, I know Tout Wars is going to be a little bit more erratic depending on the player. Like, I, I know what those leaks are going to do, but what I don't have a good sense of is, is what the baseline is. Like, we don't have a survey of people who play frequently who are like, I believe, like, how many people think we'll Pay is a $500 player versus I think I put $50 down. And I was like, I'm not going to get him at $50, but if I do, that's great. Right. <laughs> and right. I that range would be really interesting. Anyway, it's sure. a pipe dream sure <laughs> uh we are going to be take a quick break for our sponsors we'll be right back with some debates on the flip side including the best use of projections and who some pitching values are to target in your leagues but first a quick break all right we're back uh best use of projections there are so many ways that you can use projections at this time of year and i i do most in all of them what are the two of you doing and i'll just i'll, I'll frame this as a debate, but if you want to add something else, please do. Is this a better tool for estimating category targets and stat lines, or is it a better tool as an action calculator for informing your tiers? Ariel, I'll start with you.
2: So you're asking whether projections are best used just to make sure you've got enough in each category, or are they best used in terms of draft pack? Is that the question, right? Yeah. Um, I, I think it's the draft prep is definitely the best use of projections. You can use them to look at categories, though it's not a must, right? As you're building your – once you've gotten the values of players and once you're aware of which players can – participate in which categories you can sort of balance yourself indirectly from projections right it's sort of a little bit of both but yeah most important is to take a look at them in draft prep and what i do is uh i take a look at what the projections say the dollars are for the player what they're worth i look at the adp in terms of how much the market values them I personally look at everything in terms of auction value. So I convert ADP into an auction dollar equivalent. If you if you don't know how to do that, I have um, – uh, in PitchCon, I did a presentation on exactly how to do that. So check that out. But I, you take a look and see what bargains are there and what are not. Now, what I do is I generate what's called hotspots, and I say, okay, I don't really care if there's one player that's undervalued. Because remember, let's say we're talking about um, – uh, you know, let's say uh, you made an undervalued player, uh, Kyle Schwarber. Okay. Projections say Kyle Schwarber is there, but there could be a guy in your league. That's a Phillies fan. That's uh, maybe Ellen Adair is in your, is in your league that you're playing with and she goes to all the Phillies games and she wants Kyle Schwarber. And even though it's a bargain to you, she wants him. You're not going to get Kyle Schwarber. So just to get that one player that he was a bargain that does you a little good, but doesn't do the full job. The idea is to find four good players that are bargains at around the same price tier that are at the same position or maybe even the same statistic. So, you know, Schwarber is similar price to Brian Reynolds, right? And those are bargains. Maybe it's a similar price to Gleyber, to Glaber Torres. Um, so, you know, uh, if you find three, four players that are bargains, you're now more assured of being able to purchase one, right? If your market values are correct and they're all going for $15 on the uh, auction equivalent, $15. If one person really likes Torres, you won't get him. But but what's the probability that Four people really love every single four of your bargains, much, much lower. It's almost a guarantee that you'll get one of them. So find using the projections to find the pockets of value where you are short of getting somebody really informs how you're going to build your team, right? If you're an auction, you know what dollars to play at. If you're in a draft, you'll know, okay, in the 12th through 13th round, I'm going to get somebody in the outfield uh, uh, at that price point. So I know earlier I'll take the third baseman instead, or I know the steals are really the hot spots are in the 15th round. Therefore, I in the 12th round, I don't have to grab the steals. Right. It informs how to play once you do your prep and projections are really the best way to uh, form that opinion. My in, in my opinion.
0: Your Ellen Adair Schwarber example is explains so much about why people push Wilson Contreras up in every draft that I'm in. Like, it is the craziest <laughs> thing, I swear to God. Wilson Contreras' minimums in the NFBC are, are directly related to the drafts that I have been in. And it's not me, people. Like, I I barely get in. Like, it's somebody else being like, if I want Wilson, I better move now. Uh, Shelly, what about you? How are you using projections to inform your
1: draft prep at this time of year? Uh, yeah, I mean like when whenever any of the projections come out, Steamer usually comes out first. Um I will usually just overall just look at them. I will sort them by each of the counting categories and see which players like pop out to be like, "Wait, why is he projected here or why is this one uh, this one player like projected lower than I was expecting?" And then I will go in into his stats and kind of see, "Oh, I see where this is coming from." Um, and then if I still don't get it, especially like when it comes to like pictures, um, I will actually watch some of their games see uh, because I'm more of like a, a a visual person instead of like a, a numbers person, which doesn't make any sense because I'm a CPA, but we won't go there. Um, <laughs> so it's like I, I will kind of do both, like watch and look at numbers to try to figure out how the numbers are kind of formulated without going into like the gritty math. Right. Um and then once I'm like, oh, I see this, I see that, maybe I disagree with that, maybe I don't, maybe I agree with it. I will then compare that to ADP and kind of try to plan out different types of uh, drafts. Cause I, I typically do drafts. Sometimes I do, you know, auctions or whatever. Um, but I typically do drafts. So I will try to plan out my draft. Um, so I want to take this particular play in the first round but if I don't get this player who else would I take and how will that change and go through each round and see kind of, and kind of like predict what would happen and see like the first couple rounds, you know, who is going to go in the first three, four rounds, right? It's the nitty gritty gets in the ninth, 10th, 11th round. So you kind of like, I, I like to like plan it out and then be like, Oh, I like this guy for this particular draft that I'm doing, or I like this guy for this particular draft. So I, I kind of do like a mishmash of a whole lot of things.
2: By the I, way, um, go ahead, this, sorry, just to add, you know, we're talking about using projections, but a lot of people ask, how do you use market values? How do you use ADP? And I tell them that in the first couple of rounds, I don't use ADP. I take what I think is going to be the best build for my team. In the very late rounds, I don't use ADP. I take my guys that I think are better. But in the middle rounds, I do look at it because I don't want to take somebody in the seventh round who is going to be going in the ninth round. I can get a better player. Um, So using projections in conjunction with ADP, very, very important. And you should know how to use market values.
0: Yeah, that's a super good observation in terms of I I usually have – we're just joking about this in the Glarf uh, DM thread on Twitter. I, I usually have two laptops up. One that's got a spreadsheet with values, like where I see they the similar to what you're talking about, Ariel, with like, this is the, where I think the values are in the draft. This is the value of pick 24, or pick 48 or whatever. And this is a guy who should have gone five picks earlier, just kind of like highlighting those values and trying to pull that out. But at the same time, I've got a board up where I can, I, I can sort of see I don't need to push this yet, right? like this is a this is a conversation that's going to happen later and I don't want to get too anxious. like I don't want to be the person who takes somebody 15 picks earlier. Um, Shelly, I actually love one of the things you've you mentioned twice now, I think we should dive into it a little bit, particularly with your work with prospects. you get to see a lot of the players before we do. when we're talking about prospects and I mentioned this, in the first-year player draft at uh, First Pitch Arizona, which, by the way, if you're not going to First Pitch Arizona, come hang out with me and Shelly and Ariel and all of our friends. It's an incredible weekend. You will come back every year that you can, guaranteed, once you come once. Um, I, I don't get to see prospects that much. I don't get to watch as much minor league baseball. And so I really had to rely on things like depth charts and playing time in the major league context and what would inform players' abilities to make the team and stick as opposed to, no, I know Wyatt Langford is the goods or I know Corbin Carroll is the goods. And and I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you take that prospect knowledge and leverage it because I look for numerical proxies. I tend to look for guys who are traditionally undervalued or spots where I see an opportunity as opposed to that's a sweet swing. I have to draft it.
1: Oh, boy, I really wish I could like con- uh, just put this in like context because I really it, it, it's really hard because I mean, I, I, I do watch a lot of video. Um, I sometimes get out to like real life games, um, but it's kind of hard kind of where I'm at. Um, but I do watch video. I mean, there are plenty of people who watch way more prospects than I do. So I'm not I'm not trying to be like a Jeff Pontus or, or anyone like that on like Baseball America or something like that. Um, but I, you just get like this feeling. It's like when I saw like Tariq Scooble, um, in AA Richmond, I actually did see him live. Um, and that's when he was absolutely dominating, um, AA and I just absolutely fell in love with him. Like his mound presence, he just had this, you are not going to get a hit off me. Just that mentality. It's just like that that just that thing that you just kind of see and you just feel, um, uh, it was like Corbin Carroll. Um, I had read, you know, that like, he was just like an extremely like amazing, like clubhouse guy, like good makeup and all that. But then watching him play just his, just his speed. And it just looked like he was just having so much fun. I'm not saying that anyone's not having fun when they're playing baseball, but he just likes look like, looked like it, Oh, I just like fell in love with them, so it's really hard to like say this is like what I look for. It's just just like a uh, like a feeling, yeah.
0: No, that's so interesting, and it's so. I, I think it's worth keeping in mind the different things all of us bring into our drafts, right? Like, I am not a CPA or an actuary for that matter, and but I tend to bring a lot of numbers and statistical understanding into our drafts. Uh, Shelly's bringing. Like I know this swing and it's going to play and, and Ariel's bringing knowledge of the player pool and all of these types of things. And you have various people in your rooms and you have to plan around all of them, which I think is super cool and interesting. Um, I'm actually going to move down a little bit on our rundown here to this question of projections and positional scarcity. Cause I think that it's one that is a little bit more related to the meta questions of, pro- of projections rather than the player specific questions. And I, true or false, we can, we can do this one kind of quick. But one of the things I've noticed using the auction calculator with various projection systems this year, there does not seem to be as much positional scarcity as what we have seen in the past. Some years there are people who are like, oh my God, if you don't take one of these top five catchers or one of these top five third basemen, there's a cliff. Everything's going to be awful. There aren't enough outfielders, whatever it is. Not seeing it in really any position, true or false, Ariel.
2: Um, well, you know, positional scarcity, uh, and the bump that you get by calculating it has to more do with the bottom of the player pool that, uh, you know, because you have to roster two catchers and there's 15 team league, let's say you're in a two catcher 15 team league and there's 30 catchers. If not for the fact that the 30th catcher was a catcher, you would never ever consider rostering him because he stinks. (laughs) I mean, literally. Um, but but w- when you're drafting any catcher, you're not drafting the catcher stats, you're drafting the privilege of not drafting that 30th catcher. Right. You're it's the marginals, the excess stats above what that 30th catcher would produce. And that has to be in line with the 30th second baseman, you know, in the 30th first baseman however you you know whatever your your thing is so that uh does not exist anymore other than the catcher position like if you go to the bottom if you ha- especially if you have a utility player you can that utility can be drawn from middle infield outfielder third base first base like there's enough there so you don't have to bump any values whatsoever but in terms 30th, 30th of 30th yeah. catcher
0: by ATC in a 15 teamer NFBC settings by the way is patrick bailey right now 29th is Jake Rogers. So, yes, heard.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, But in terms of, you know, the cliff thing and in terms of getting, you know, things, uh, you see every year there's going to be a different player pool and a different shape of each position. I mean, did you try looking at ale-only first baseman? Uh, There aren't many. Josh Naylor might be the second best ale first baseman that doesn't seem very deep to me right so it really depends every year specifically on your thing where the cliffs are but in terms of overall between the positions position scarcity you don't see that and that's again from looking at the bottom of the player pool you know when 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 i'm picking positions i don't look just at you know where the cliffs are i actually look the opposite i look where there's the bunches and like in middle infield for now Let's say in a mixed league There are so many middle infielders Priced somewhere between like 18 and 22 dollars oh my God, there's just so many. That just tells me I can take anyone there. I can wait on middle infield at that spot because I can take somebody lower. Whereas in outfield, there's a big gap between the number eight outfielder and the number you know, 11 outfielder. There's not that many $20 outfielders. That tells me that I might have to pick an outfielder earlier because there won't be that many choices available at a certain price point. So that kind of positional scarcity is is exist and will always exist. It re- and it's year to year, very different format to format, very different. As I said, the AL only first baseman is very different than the shape of first baseman in the national league. There's a plenty, right? So you really have to look at your own specific thing and it depends on the year.
0: That's a really great point on mono leagues. I do not play in a lot of mono leagues. And so that was probably a blind spot for me, but yes, the AL first base situation is it, it, it's bad people. Um, if You play in an AL mono league. I hope, I hope you have a first base Shelly, what about you in terms of uh, projections and positional scarcity? Where are you seeing some of those issues this year, and 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 are those issues, or do you, do you draft with a different strategy entirely?
1: Um, the the few drafts that I have done um, so far have been um, over on um, NSC, right? So we have like five outfielders, and I have noticed if you don't get a lot of like those outfielders, like the the bottom bin of those. Like, you don't know how much playing time they're going to get. They're going to be like a fourth outfielder type guy. Um, So I've been trying to prioritize outfielders um, in those, you know, deeper 15-team leagues. Um, I haven't done any, like, smaller leagues. So maybe it's not as drastic um, as some of, like, those, the deeper 15 teams. Um, But, yeah, it's just like the out, it just, for me, it just seems like it falls off a cliff. And I don't feel confident picking some of those players.
0: Yeah, that's really, both of you have mentioned outfield now and I need to go back and look at outfield again because I was kind of looking at this as like, yeah, who's got a job? Who's going to like play the whole season? I was not looking at those like, oh, there's only this many $20 players, et cetera. So thank you for that tip. I'm going to take that into my draft prep for this weekend. Um, Let's talk about some specific players though because this is really where the rubber meets the road in terms of like, how are you making those decisions on draft day? And one of the guys who jumps out in ATC is a huge pitching value. Maybe the best pitching value on the board, although Ariel, we were talking a little bit before we hit recording. You had some other names to throw in here as well that I'd love you to share with our listeners. Zach Eflin is currently going uh, 80th overall, according to NFC ADP, 89th in drafts since January 1st. And ATC projections has him as the 12th best starting pitcher for the record. Anytime the Tampa Bay Rays are like, yo... That guy, long-term pitching, I'm in. So I I don't understand this one at all. Ariel, what's going on with Zach Eflin? Are there any any better pitching values and for starting pitchers on the board?
2: Yeah, so in terms of raw dollar bargains, there might be a few more, although Eflin's one is more important. I Clayton Kershaw is technically a bigger value, but I calculated that before he signed back with the Dodgers. Maybe he now goes for a buck or two in auctions, and so Eflin would still be the winner. Um, I also have Nestor Cortez as being a potential really big sleeper late. Uh, of course, that depends on his injury. And Shane Bieber seems like a good value. It also depends on his injury stuff. But for guys who are not injured, just standard guys, you know, who performed very well last year, Eflin seems to be the guy. Now, for players like this, you know, I'm trying to say, what am I missing? Like, what am I doing wrong? How – How bad is ATC that it projects him to be like a $5 bargain? And by the way, a $5 bargain in the sixth, seventh round is tremendous, right? We're talking like a two, three, four round bargain almost, you know. It's incredible. You know, You in an auction, if I buy a pitcher who's worth 20 at 21, I'm like, great. I only have to pay a $1 market premium where everyone's going five over. Eflin, I'm getting a $5 bargain. Um, at this rate, he'll be on every single one of my teams, you know. And I'm trying to poke a hole. I can't. He's on Tampa Bay. Well, Tampa Bay knows what they're doing, so I can't play the – he's on a sucky team. Like, they know what they're doing. I'm looking – he made really great strides in his pitch mix. The walks have been cut down, and they've been cut down for years, and he's now at the George Kirby level. Like This is 3% walk rate, so he's going to have a low whip. I'm looking, was he lucky last year? His BABIP seemed normal. His strand rate seemed normal. Strikeouts, they improved this year. They jumped up to almost 27%. He had a 23K minus BB last year. What am I missing? I don't know. Maybe because he'd only done it for one year, and before that he was sort of a scrub and an afterthought. Maybe it's just people just not on the bandwagon after one year. But I I can't see it, and I don't see him falling out to bottom. Sure, there's going to be regression, but I cannot see the bottom falling out of him. And what do you want with your number one pitcher? You don't want the bottom to fall out. still, As long as he pitches 180 innings, he's going to have 180 strikeouts. I, I can't see anything wrong with him. So I'm 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 puzzled. I'm not I know what I want for from him. I'm puzzled why the market really devalues him. I don't get it. Do you, do you guys gals get it? I don't know.
0: I, I'm gonna let Shelly take that question because I, I I definitely do not get it. And actually what this reminds me of a little bit is I, I was obviously, because I'm a Cubs girl, very in on Justin Steele last year, and everybody's like, no, no, it's not real, blah, 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 blah. And he doesn't strike out enough guys, and it's Justin Steele, and I get it. And also, at this point, we have two seasons... 251 innings of like a 2.56 ERA and the guy shoves. So until it doesn't work anymore, I'm in. <laughs>
2: and, and like, what's the difference between George Kirby and Zach Eflin now? Because Eflin has more strikeouts than Kirby. And if he's going to pitch with that same walk rate, like, I I don't see why Eflin is so much worse than George Kirby. I think you're getting a cheap version of him early.
0: Yeah, Shelly, what about you, Zach Eflin? You in, you out? Like, what do you
1: see here? And why does the market not love Zach Eflin? <laughs> Uh, maybe to me, it's, uh, the injury scares. Um, it's just all of his knee issues. Um, I mean, I had been like an FM fan when he was in the Phillies. I never expected him to do what he did last year. Um, but those re- recurring knee injuries and also some back stuff. Um, it, it kind of scares me a bit. Um, I know he pitches on a mound, but Tampa is turf. So it, it just, everything from, all I'm seeing scares me off from his price. I I mean, tip top, I, I think that he could do, you know, what the projections say. It's just I don't trust his body enough to actually do that. I think the ratios will still be there. I just don't know about the innings. Innings, I'm so
0: glad you flagged innings because actually the one place where the Projections are kind of all over the place with Eflin. Is the innings? Like I think I and I don't have this up in front of me right now, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do this off the top of my head, which means I'm gonna get something wrong. But I think I saw everything from like 146 to 181. That's a wide innings gap, right? Like you get those extra 40 innings, Eflin all of a sudden becomes very worth it and very profitable, and you lose so, those 40 innings, that's a problem. Ariel, it sounds like you've already got a rebuttal. Well,
2: well, I mean, if if you know if you put in. Uh, you know, only 140 innings, take you the low side, Eflin's still a bargain, right? Like there's some inning threshold that he does not cease to be a bargain or, you know, even if, say, he's a $3 loss, there's some threshold where he's, He's still like a good buy as your first pitcher, and I think that threshold of innings is quite low. Like unless you think he's just totally going to conk out, like all the I guess all the race pitchers they've been great, but they just woo Rasmussen woo Spring woo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's almost like binary. It's either is the guy going to make it or not? Because if if he, even if he has limited innings and misses a month and a half, still well worth it. I'm not
0: laughing at injury risk. I wish I had a lot of Jeffrey Springs on teams last year, and that looked like it was going to work out so well for me (laughs) in the start of the season. And it worked out so poorly for me when I lost him for the entire season. And so I definitely, um, I hear that. I I do think, and and this is what I can't figure out with Tampa. And I am curious what both of you think. They are a place that normally I do not trust for pitcher health because they're not invested in their pitchers. They get guys who are pre-arb. They're going to flip them as soon as they're arbitration eligible. It's like the Tyler Glass now story, right? Like where they're basically trying to burn out guys on their best pitch. And it's like, well, we hope you have a nice career. But they
2: bought him, they but paid. they
0: bought Zach Eflin. They yeah. they paid up for the long term and, with and Eflin. The other guy? That is
2: different. Who's the other guy they bought somewhat recently? Charlie Morton and old Charlie Morton had that workout. Great for them so they they their buying has been great, so yes, the flame out's been right, but when they buy guys usually I guess Fairbanks they bought him, but he sort of worked half worked better than better than not. I don't know.
0: the jury might still be out on Fairbanks. this is a great discussion i'm so i'm yeah. I'm so into it let's let's actually move to some different pictures where there's a wide variance in projections for a, for a good reason. we don't have as much data to make these projections on, and I understand how this happens. But international players are always a tricky place to figure out what is this guy going to do in a new league with a different ball in a different context against the best hitters in the world. And I've got three guys listed here. If there's someone else that y'all want to talk about in this in this context, let's let's do it. But um Yoshinobu Yamamoto, who is somewhere between best pitcher on the planet and maybe not going to do very great things according to the projections. Uh, Shoto Emonica, who stuffed Darling from the WBC to, oh, my God, what are the Cubs even thinking? And Yario Rodriguez, who I actually, you know, Shelly, I don't watch nearly as much prospect or international stuff as you do. When I watched Yario Rodriguez in the WBC, I was like, I'm in. I love this. I love what I'm seeing from this dude. I like his stuff. I like his makeup. He seems to have no fear and i I took him in a draft and hold the second he signed with the with the blue Jays cause I was like, yeah, like I want I want a piece of that uh Shelly, I'll start with you what do you what do you think with international players here
1: um I don't know, like with my, with my first, uh, uh, draft and hold, I took Yamamoto as my first pitcher. Um, I fell in love, um, maybe because I watched too much highlights on Twitter. <laughs> um, but I just, I just fell in love with just his presence on the mound. And then reading people who I respect, like Eric Longenhagen over on Fangraphs, just gushing over him saying he's probably like, what, like a top five pitcher overall. Right. So I, I, I fell in love. Maybe I'll get burned because the Dodgers are probably going to go what six man, six maybe even seven at at some point, right? So, <laughs> no Dodgers uh, pitcher may throw more than 120 <laughs> innings this year, and none of us will be surprised. <laughs> exactly. So it's like with that first draft, I went Yamamoto and Miller, and I might be struggling for for. So, um, yeah. So uh, you know, with you know Yamamoto, um, I fell in love. Um, in Mag- in Shoto, you know. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, Sarah, his his home run rate just kind of scares me a bit. Um, so I, I loved where he was going earlier, like when he didn't have a home. Um, and, you know, his his cost has like shot up just like a little bit. Um, but honestly, he could be a good value. And Rodriguez, I don't know if he's going to start, but he is extremely electric on the mound.
0: Yeah. So for Shona and Monica, a uh, couple of things there. One, I hear you on the home run rate. The reason that I kind of am overlooking that, Lance Brozdowski, who does great work um, for Marquee Sports Network, and if you just follow him on Twitter, you'll get so many pitching insights, had a really interesting piece about how a slight change to a Monaga's pitch mix might change the home run ish- issue. And I, I, I'm here for that. And I know Lance does some work with the Cubs. And so I was kind of like, I think they're here for that, right? That deal is also structured in a way that it's very much like, we're going to pay you this very below market rate. And when you establish yourself as a dude who deserves the market rate, we will let you either, we will either match that or you can opt out. And I, I feel like it's a challenge in a way that like, it's probably going to get the best out of him on no matter what. But I hear you on the home run rate. That's a stat that was a little bit infuriating uh, and, and, and frankly, terrifying to me too. I, I know what happens when the wind blows out at Wrigley, uh, Ariel, what do you see in this group of players and what's going on with international players and projections?
2: All right, so most importantly, you can't spell Yariel Rodriguez without Ariel. I mean, <laughs> that's just that's, that's just most important to, to note, right? Uh, <laughs> not really, uh, but uh, that's cool for me. Um, yeah, uh, foreign players, they're going to have the most volatility in projections. I mentioned the inter the earlier in the show. Uh, Imanaga's is 65 and Yamamoto is seven point eight. According to uh, according to Steamer, he is amazing. In Minaga. Uh, according to Derek Cardi, I should be pitching for the Cubs instead of Minaga. <laughs> so I mean, you know, you never know. How about uh, y- uh, Yam- Yamamoto? Well, according to Zips D- Dan Zimborski, he thinks that he's better than Spencer Strider. So you know, it, 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 projections are just all over the place. Um, I hate when projections are all over the place. I hate it. Um Wisdom of the Crowds is just just not I'm not confident. Whatever the average projection that I come up with, which is somewhere in the middle for ATC, it it there's no confidence in it. Like the 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 the, the range of outcomes for what Imanaga could be, Yamamoto, all these guys, is so wide. The innings could be all over the place. The ratios, who knows? just right there's just so many possibilities sure you can go for the upside of these players but if you're picking look Imanaga's going in the 14th round and Yamamoto's going the third round for a third round player I gotta be a lot more confident of what the outcome's gonna be right I don't want that variance in projections I don't want he could be good he could be bad like what do you getting by getting a third round yamamoto i'd rather get luis castillo i know what i'm getting with him even the 12th round frominaga I, I sorry 14th round I, I i still would rather have someone a little bit more more probable um yariel rodriguez well he's going you know we're talking about draft champion leagues sure you could take a stab at him that's no cost that's free right so the cost really matters in terms of what his projections are. I can't tell you that I know better than, better than just aggregating projections. So I'm sour on taking any of these foreign players because they are just so hard to predict. And that just doesn't cut it for me in in the spots that they are going for.
0: You know, a couple of interesting things you're both so great to talk baseball with. I love, I love chatting baseball with both of you. Um, it, it is about opportunity costs, right? Like, if you're taking Yamamoto, he, these are the guys who go around Yamamoto that you're probably passing on. Randy Orozarena goes two picks before Yamamoto. Devin Williams goes right before him. Edwin Diaz goes right after him. Royce Lewis goes right after that. Those are, and it, there are some question marks there, right? Like, Royce Lewis has an injury history. Edwin Diaz is coming back from injury. Orozarena kind of waxes and wanes depending on the intensity of the moment, not Love me some Rosarena, but he, he really <laughs> seems to, like, need a stage to thrive on. God, give me a team with Randy Rosarena and Javier Baez in a crowd, and I, I would just watch that all day. Um, That's a big opportunity cost to take a guy yeah. that has never pitched in the United States with this baseball.
2: Yeah, I mean, aren't you better off waiting for Logan Webb, and now you get a third-round hitter? Like, I'll take – if you want a pitcher so desperately – Wait for Logan Webb. I'm assured of what he's going to be, and I'll take that Randy Orozarena in the third round and bank all those steals and save. Like, is I don't understand why you have to buy a third round Yamamoto while you have to buy a second round Ellie Dela Cruz. What's the upside? The upside is second round for Yamamoto. Like, what what are you gaining by doing that? You want to buy a guy rounds after that they really should be worth. I don't. I don't need to have a guy who. Who knows? He can have a five year There's some projection systems that say that, right? I mean, you don't want me pitching for the Cubs, or maybe you do. I don't know. But <laughs> well, you don't get the my Cubs,
0: point. the Cubs seem to prefer Shota and Imano- Monica. And uh, yeah, he also got a more money than
2: me. They didn't offer me any money. <laughs> well, they, they
0: have a lot of money that the Rickets are not are refusing to spend, but that's that's a debate for another day when we talk about Cody Bellinger. Um These are the guys you're passing on if you take Shota. Steven Kwan goes 202. Nathan Avaldi goes 203. Imaniga's at 204. Jose Alvarado, who is the likely closer for the Phillies, goes at 205. And then Jamer Candelario, who I actually think is a sneaky good pick at Great American Ballpark. Like, I – Jamer Candelario, in my opinion, has – his stat line is suppressed by the years he spent in Detroit. What he did with the Nationals and Cubs last year – Looks super legit. He was just a doubles machine, and doubles are great for all things fantasy baseball, even if you don't play with them as a category. And he's going to a better park. I'm like Jamer is one of my targets, and I I just I can understand why the risk with the Monica feels extreme when those are the players going around him. The last thing I'll say here the The pool of international players who come straight from another league to play in the majors with no minor league time whatsoever is so small that I really feel like we're oftentimes dealing with recency bias. And right now, those players are being pushed up because Kodai Senga just did it, and we're like, "Well, Kodai Senga just did it. We like it." But a couple of years ago, when who was the guy who was playing for the Reds? I just heard Jeff Erickson and Scott Jensen talking about Nori it
2: Nori Aoki.
0: I totally forgotten about, no, that's not even the one I'm thinking of. Oh. Um, it starts with an A.
2: Yeah,
0: I'm going to, I, I don't know, <laughs> but the, the last like big hitter that came over that it was like, ah, oh, this is the guy and I can't, I'm, I'm blanking on it. And I, uh, but go, go listen to the most recent episode of Rotowire wire from Sunday and you'll, you'll hear it. Cause it's a great conversation. I, when that's the most recent example, we're like all skeptical of international players. And I, There's really some recency bias going on here. We're not looking at stats. We're looking at feelings. <laughs> Shelly, what do you think?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, I, I will say that I, I draft more with my, my heart sometimes, uh, than maybe, uh, the projections, um, a little bit. Um, but I, I don't know. I just, I just fell in love and it'll probably burn me this year. And then I'll just be off, uh, when uh, Roki Sasaki comes in next year and just totally dominates the league.
0: Oh, Roki Sasaki. I'm so excited. Uh, Roki Sasaki, next big thing out of Japan. Y'all should go check out uh, Sasaki if you have not. We'll, we'll end the show the way we always do with some quick hits, love it or leave it. Ariel, you're the guest. We, we're going to start with you. What is your What is your quick hit, one thing from baseball news this week that you, you're thrilled about or over?
2: All right, let's go with Altuve's extension. Um, hey, you know, you rarely see players who play for the same team for their entire career. And frankly, I love it. And I think it's great for the the brand. It's great for the team, the fan base. Um, so uh, anytime you can do that, now you can debate whether he's overpriced, underpriced, whatever. For the fans who are not directly seeing the money, it's it's fantastic. So, listen, I'm, I'm not a huge Houston fan. I'm sure, you know... Uh, a lot of people don't like Houston with all the uh, the cheating scandals and all that. But if you're a Houston fan, you gotta love it. I want to see Pete Alonso in a Mets uniform for the whole career. He's not the best first baseman, but he's our guy. He has a chance to chance to be the home run title, the the Mets home run title of all time. We, we want to sign him. We want guys who are our guys, right? And Altuve gets that, so I, I love it.
0: I'm so glad you said that, and I w- I hope Jed Hoyer is listening to this podcast. This is my biggest beef with the Chicago Cubs right now. There's so many guys from that 2016 core who should have been yeah. my guy forever, yeah. and I love Kyle Hendricks, but he's he's not a franchise player, and this is just uh, it kills me at my soul. I think you're totally right. Also, Jose Altuve is an easy guy to cheer for. That's a generous five six on that listing. I uh, and what he has done in an Astros uniform is probably Cooperstown worthy. Like I'm, I'm, I'm impressed and I'm happy for him and I'm happy for Astros fans. Uh, Shelly, what about you? What is your love it or leave it for this week?
1: Um, I'm going to, I'm going to be positive. Um, I'm going to go with, like I love it. The um, Orioles and Brewers trade. Um, I just thought it was like so much fun. You know, we have the Orioles kind of like cashing in like some of their prospect ships and getting like that one guy, everyone on baseball, Twitter and just baseball fandom, like around and being like, the Orioles, they need a pitcher. And they finally got one in Corbin Burns. And, you know, the Brewers, they got two adequate guys that should help them this year and for many years to come. Will either of them get up to, like, a Burns-level, like, Cy Young award winner? No, no, no. They're not going to do that. But it, there, it it was just a really, really fun, exciting trade. Um, and it was, like, a fun, you know, couple hours on Twitter and just kind of, like you know, just sitting and just like thinking about just all the implications. And it was just, just so much fun.
2: Well, Sarah's got to love that trade. It gets Burns out of the division. Exactly.
1: <laughs> Cubs fans
0: were all over it. We yeah. were, we were, ha- we were celebrating and, you know, we took Craig Council, Corbin Burns is going to Baltimore. Like this is <laughs> if, if only the Cubs would sign the obvious free agent that they need and, and make all of the rest of this work out, that would, that would be great. Um, I I love all of that. I'm actually gonna go a slightly different direction. I got a little bit of a love and a little bit of a leave. And the same thing. I love the Bobby Witt Jr. extension. I think that what the the Royals did here is exactly what teams should be doing. I like the structure of the deal. I like that it gives him the potential to retire a royal. I like that. They structured it with some options at the end so that if he's still performing in his 34 35 year old season, he's just going to be a Royal for life. And I loved hearing the way that John Sherman talked about it in the press conference until there was this question about small market teams and why they can't do these types of deals. And John Sherman made a joke that everybody in the room laughed at. So we're all in on the joke. Like we all know that this is the state of major league baseball these days. He says, I'm probably not gonna get a standing ovation at the owners meeting when I head down to Florida. And I'm like, why? Why is John Sherman gonna get booed by the owners for making an obvious deal to extend a franchise talent in Bobby Witt Jr. And why don't we as baseball fans deserve something better and guys who retire in our favorite uniforms who are our favorite guys, kudos to the
1: Royals. You get it. If you're a Royals fan, you had a great day and the rest of us (laughs) deserve more. (laughs) Here, <laughs> here! As a Red Sox fan who saw Mookie Betts and, and Xander Bogotts go. So, yes, totally understand. Yeah. I'm, I'm so over. Like, Anthony Rizzo should have retired a Cub. What, why
0: is Wilson Contreras playing for the Cardinals? And, you know, Shelly, you and I are kindred spirits on this. Like, I feel like the Red Sox and Cubs are like, I don't know. Do we really need to be top five franchises in the league? Like, do we really need to? Can't we just charge these exorbitant ticket prices and, like, keep doing our thing. Like, why, why do we need to try?
2: Hey, um, Shelly, did you like uh, Chaim Bloom's tenure or did you, were you very opposed?
1: Uh, uh, it was very controversial. Um, at first I didn't like it. Um, but by the end um, I actually wanted him to get like another year or two. Um, I, I don't think that some of the things that he did or did not do was necessarily part of him. Uh, or part of his decision making um, but yeah I wanted to see what he would do with one more year. Um, he did make the the you know the minor league system like pretty good so that's good um, but yeah it was a very uh, roller coaster relationship that I had with him.
0: <laughs> well now you've got Craig Breslow coming over from the Cubs who are trying their best to do exactly what Heim Bloom did to the Red Sox so it's you know it's not I don't know I the Red Sox and Cubs pretending they're mid market teams is is definitely a leave it for me. Um, but I we'll see how it goes. Let's uh let's highlight really quickly some things y'all are working on so p- and tell people where they can find you so they can find that incredible work. And thank you all for joining us for the second episode of Fantasy Feud. This is this has been a lot of fun. Uh, Ariel, what are you working on? Where can people find you?
2: Well, first of all, thanks so much for having me. Very excited to be on this show. Um, And, well, I'm working on, I write over at Fangraphs, over at Rotoballer. The ATC projections are up. They're out. They're on Fangraphs, Rotoballer. They're on CBS Sportsline, and they're also on Rotowire right now. I think Rotowire just put them in uh, their auction calculator as well. So there's lots of places you can get ATC. Check it out. Um, You can follow me on Twitter at ATCNY all the good stuff and uh so excited to uh to start baseball yeah or we're, we're just weeks away
0: i'm so excited for baseball to be back to and at uh, the atc projections again i use them every season it's a great way to find a floor um if you're just looking for those guys and you want to know like what the bottom line and their risk and their floor profile is it's an awesome tool shelly what are you working on and where can people find you
1: uh, yeah, you can find me um, on Twitter at uh, ShellyV underscore 643. Um, I probably post more about my dogs than baseball currently. Um, so I apologize if you're not a dog person. Uh, but um, I'm currently working on like um, just some uh, weekly, you know, um, off-season recaps over at uh, Worlds and just, you know, having a couple new shifts here and there. So whenever you go on World and you see a blurb, that could be me that wrote it. Um, But yeah, just kind of just hanging out and just can't wait to, you know, hear the snap of a catcher's mitt in a couple weeks. Awesome. And as always, I am your host.
0: Uh, You can find me at BCB underscore Sarah on Twitter, threads, Mastodon, whatever we're doing with the socials these days. The only place I don't have the underscore is on Blue Sky where they don't let you have underscores. So I I had to be just bcb sarah there i'm currently working on a couple of pieces looking at um projections and the chicago cubs minus you know the one big acquisition that we all know they need to make and and what would happen if that acquisition were or were not to come through um and, uh, over at baseball hq i'm working on some playing time tomorrow stuff about uh division ariel cares a lot about the national league east that is going to do it for us today thank you for joining us for all of your favorite fantasy baseball Debates, as you get ready to kick off your season, we will be back next week looking at some draft results and our first draft review debate show. So you'll definitely want to join us for that. Until next time.